Today on Not Sam Wrestling, a man that many claim to be the greatest independent professional wrestler in North America, Lee Moriarty, is here. Plus, we're going to talk about Bailey being out of action, new debuts on SmackDown, Malachi Black, and a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, welcome to the show. For the 351st time, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Here we are. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's ready for the week that we've been waiting for. Of course, I'm talking about the fans coming back. If you watch Dynamite this week, we got a taste of what it's going to be like, and it really is. I mean, there's no getting around it. The fans bring a completely different dynamic. I'm getting excited just thinking about it. You know, you go and you and you watch some of the great moments that all these fans were in attendance for. I mean, I forget who it was. Maybe it was one of the referees that posted some photos from like the last SmackDown live event that happened. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot how exciting it could be. You know, it was a little emotional. Bailey, who we'll talk about in just a minute, was was posting photos of the of the of the uh, uh, what's it called? I don't even remember what it's called anymore. The Thunderdome. But why would any of us need to remember it anymore? Fans are back. Bailey was posting pictures of the Thunderdome getting torn down and 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 not just photos, video of the whole thing, which is really I mean, Bailey's in an interesting spot because it's like this exit of the Thunderdome and this this exit of doing wrestling the way it's been done for, you know, the last 15 months with little to no live audience members. It's, it's almost like all the hard work that so many of these superstars went through to make sure that the show could go on. And that was happening in WWE, NXT, AEW, across the independents, everywhere. Now, people are getting to reap the rewards. A rabid fan base is coming back to see them. And and for somebody who was so damn good in the Thunderdome era, somebody that, that, that was so good in the pandemic era as Bailey, to have the misfortune of being injured during a training session to get back on the road, I guess uh, a bunch of the roster members... We're doing some extra training to get themselves ready for the for the regular schedule. You know, keep in mind so many of these superstars. And even though, you know, they've been going at it at the highest level possible for as long as they have. For the most part, other than pay-per-view weekends, they've been wrestling once a week at most, at very most once a week. Maybe a double shot if it's a pay-per-view, maybe in front of virtual screens. And we're getting right back. I mean, literally starting this Friday to a regular schedule of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's Friday live event, Saturday, I'm sorry, Friday SmackDown, Saturday live event, Sunday, either live event or pay-per-view, and then Monday Raw. And that's just the beginning. Who knows where it goes from there? So I guess there was some training that was going on, and then... Somehow Bailey was injured. We, I, at, at the 
time of this recording, we don't know what exactly the injury is, but she's going to be out for approximately nine months is what's been reported. Um, I mean, Bailey and Sasha Banks were just about the best act in all of wrestling at a time when nobody could be. I'm not talking about the Thunderdome era. I'm talking about the pre-Thunderdome era. I'm talking about the PC era when wrestling was simply not wrestling. And it was like beginning of the pandemic. We're all trying to figure out how to maintain life to some degree right now. And WWE said, well, we got this building in Orlando. We can put up a ring and we could do some matches for you if you want to see them. And we were all like, of course. We want to see him. We need to see him. And Bailey and Sasha Banks were like, hopefully we can make you laugh a little bit too. And they did. I mean, they were they were great in the ring, entertaining. They were the best segments. Every single week of that Performance Center era, they were the best segments. And then to watch those two grow and grow and grow and to see Bailey just consistently get better. And what Bailey's gotten so good at is absolutely utilizing any moment that she has on television. You know, whether it's get in there with Michael Cole. If you're just going to let me go to WrestleMania and night one pop up behind Michael Cole at the commentary table for 30 seconds, it's going to be something that people talk about. If I'm just going to get thrown down the ramp by the Bella Twins, it's going to be something that people talk about. If I'm not going to be wrestling, if it's going to be an interview segment, it's going to be something that sells T-shirts. And I, I think that's why so many people were so upset to see this happen to Bailey, of all people. If anybody deserves the opportunity to do what they do in front of an audience and to listen to that reaction and to feed off of that reaction, it's Bailey. I firmly believe that nine months from now, it is a distinct possibility that Bailey will be the biggest female superstar in the division. I think nine months from now, and you could play it any type of ways. We could go full Triple H torn quad on this one. We can go mums the word for nine months, then Bailey shows up. We cannot discuss Bailey's name again and wait until nine months, which puts us around April. And have Bailey's music hit the, the Raw after WrestleMania in front of an audience. For the first time, it at that point, it'll be in two years. We will have missed two Monday Night Raw after WrestleManias in front of an audience. Finally, the first one back with an audience. And Bailey makes her return. I don't care if she's a good guy. I don't care if she's a bad guy. People are going to be so happy to see her back. Because that's the thing. When you are as good as Bailey has been in the last year, nobody forgets about you. Nobody. So I can't wait to see what that reaction is going to be for when Bailey comes back. And I would hope that Bailey knows this. I mean, it's probably going to be impossible for her to sit there and watch because, sure, you know, on some level, it's like, okay, I've been going hard. Maybe it'll be good to take a month or two off, but it's not a month or two. It's a lot longer than that. And it's at the worst possible time. It's the one time when everybody, absolutely everybody 
wants to be doing as much as humanly possible because wrestling is back. You've got to imagine that there's going to be a new set. You can tell already if you watch SmackDown on Friday, new superstars are being added to the roster. We saw uh, not only the debut of Shotzi and Knox. I don't know if it's Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox or if it's just Shotzi and Knox. Not only the debut of those two on SmackDown as a team, getting a victory over the women's tag team champions, but the vignettes aired for Tony Storm as well coming to SmackDown. So obviously that women's talent is going to start flooding in on Friday nights. And those are three key choices that they picked. Um, as far as the names go, I would hope that Shot like Shotzi and Knox has a decent ring to it in terms of being a tag name. And I'm, I never mind a team having a tag name. I think a team with a tag name is good. It doesn't happen nearly often enough these days. I like a team with a tag name. So the idea that Shotzi and Knox, or Knox, probably Shotzi and Knox, it sounds better to me. Knox and Shotzi. Shotzi and Knox. Probably Shotzi and Knox. And the vibe is right, right? Shotzi's kind of crazy. Knox hurts. You know, it hits people. Shotzi and Knox. It works. But that doesn't mean you can't be Tegan Knox, Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart. You know, like power and glory. Paul Roma was the glory. Hercules was the power. So it's Paul Roma and Hercules, and together they make up power and glory. I think even though it is, you know, part of their names, Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart, when combined, become Shotzi and Knox. That I like. I think we're overthinking it if we start, like, changing their names. I, like, I, I didn't hear the commentators call her Shotzi Blackheart at all. I, I only heard Shotzi. I think I, I want to say I heard Tegan Knox a couple times. But, again, that can all change. You know, who knows? Uh, but Tony Storm was billed as Tony Storm coming to SmackDown. So I'm very much looking forward to that as we can sort of think about. And that'll be, that'll be another thing to think about, right? We're getting to Money in the Bank. I would imagine that Becky Lynch is coming back very, very soon. Um, you know, I guess Ronda Rousey is pregnant. But who knows? Maybe a year from now, Ronda comes in and Bailey comes in. And you're like, oh, my God, here we go. Don't forget that at some point Sasha Banks has to come back. We haven't seen her since WrestleMania. You know, Bianca Belair is going to have a lot to contend with. I don't know who's going to win that women's money in the bank uh, ladder match. I mean, it would certainly seem like Liv Morgan is that underdog, but something tells me too, that it's going to be one of those scenarios where they build, you know, sometimes WWE, they build the underdog up to be like, well, you know, we're building this underdog up. So eventually they can win. And then they just never win. <laughs> they just stay the underdog. That could be what's happening with Liv Morgan. I don't know, but I, it'd be interesting to see uh, Liv Morgan with the money in the bank briefcase. Of course, she got in to the Money in the Bank match because Carmella is no longer. She's going to get the shot at Bianca Belair uh, on SmackDown next week. Which, by the way, like, if I'm Carmella, I'm pissed. Like, great. I'm happy that I'm getting a women's championship match. But it's way better to be to have the Money in the Bank briefcase than it is to have a scheduled women's championship match because then you don't have the opportunity to use it whenever you want. Now, of course, you could say, well, she doesn't have 
guarantee that she's going to win the briefcase. She's got to go through five other women. Unless they're adding two more. I don't know if they're adding two more. It's Asuka, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, or Nikki Ash, I should say. And then Liv Morgan and Zelina Vega. So it's four and two. Four from Raw, two from SmackDown. But SmackDown's women's roster is, is small right now. Um, maybe Sasha Banks makes a surprise return. I guess it would make the most sense for Nikki Ash to probably win. Like, if you really want to put that superhero gimmick over. It, it, look, if it's a villain winning the briefcase, then it's Zelina Vega for sure. Like the all the the opportunist version of the winner, then it's definitely Zelina Vega. But if it's the if it's the good guy underdog, then I would I would have to I would have to say Nikki Ash is the way to go. I think. I think. Um speaking of confusing names, we did see Aleister Black debut in AEW under the name Malachi Black. Thought it was gonna be Tommy End. There was some confusion in the commentary. I wish they had gotten through that confusion. You know. But the debut was awesome. And it's awesome because it was a surprise. Because everybody assumed that everybody that gets released from WWE, like everybody tweets when they're free, everybody announces it's a 90-day non-compete, it's a whatever. We didn't even know 30-day non-compete existed. So the idea that out of nowhere, 60 days before he should be free to do whatever he wants, Aleister Black shows up in AEW, That's a big move. That's the kind of action that I want to see going forward. I want to see people who we didn't think it was a possibility showing up. That's what makes wrestling fun, man. That's what makes wrestling the best. You know who made wrestling the best? Terry Funk. I shouted him out. We do a a Thursday podcast, for those that don't know. Uh, Every week we do a second podcast, Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Um... And we talked a little about Terry Funk on that show, but I wanted to do it on this show too. They found out apparently he is uh, suffering with some kind of uh, dementia at home right now. And I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, you got to love the people in wrestling that love wrestling the way we do. The people who spend their lives in wrestling and still at the end of the day, are just doing it because they love it so much. And I don't know if anybody has been more of an outward expression of that love for wrestling on a higher profile than Terry Funk. Terry Funk was never about getting famous. Terry Funk was never about doing the best thing for Terry Funk. For Terry Funk, it was always just, I want to be a wrestler. And I want to be a good wrestler. And I want to do cool shit all the time. You look at Terry Funk's career. The only possible motivation he could have for doing half of what he did is because he wanted to do cool shit because wrestling is awesome. Great quote in Beyond the Mat, which I watched again over the weekend. Such a good movie. And they go, at this age, because, you know, Terry Funk then, in like 1997, 1998, 97, I think it was, was getting ready to retire. You know, he had just won the ECW championship uh, at Barely Legal. Lost it to Sabu at Born to be Wired. Wasn't on pay-per-view, but still, I mean, one of the most insane barbed wire matches you've ever seen in your life. No explosions, no nothing, just brutality surrounded by barbed wire. 
Uh, and then after going back and forth a little bit, uh, had moved away from the ECW championship title scene and was getting ready to retire from wrestling. This wasn't the first time Terry Funk had retired. But he said, this is my last match. This is my last show. And there was so much love for Terry Funk. You know, this was, this must have been 98. Because this must have been post uh, Chainsaw Charlie, which was WrestleMania 14-ish. But there was so much love, unless it wasn't. Maybe Chainsaw Charlie came after. I'm going to look up when Terry Funk's WrestleFest was right now. Because I don't want to be talking about, uh, talking out of both sides of my mouth as I explained to you how great this was. But I'm about to make a good point. Uh, I'm about to make a good point about it. It'll all be worth it in the end. Um, so Terry Funk's WrestleFest, yeah, it did go down in 1997. So he was back for WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I, I had forgotten that Chainsaw Charlie was actually after Terry Funk's 50 years of Funk uh, uh, retirement match. Uh, but people loved Terry Funk so much. It was November 9th, 1997. That it was the one show that all promotions at one of the most competitive times ever in wrestling could get together. The main event for that show was Bret Hart, the WWE champion. He won it in August of 97. This was a couple of weeks before the screw job. Facing Terry Funk, Mankind was on the show, you know, like as Mankind. It was an, it, it was amazing. That stuff never happened then. It really never happens now. But it happened for Terry. I mean, you look at the stuff for me. I, I tend to lean on that, like uh, on the '90s, on the ECW stuff, because that's really when I was in high school, and it meant a lot to me. But when you look back at Terry's career, and I mean, the stuff he did in Japan, and the stuff he did in Japan is super impactful for me too. The deathmatch stuff that he did in Japan, outrageous. But the stuff that he did before that, the stuff that he did with Dusty, the stuff that he did with Flair, the stuff that he did with everybody, the stuff that he did in the NWA. He's just an incredible, incredible person. And, and I hope that even though it's terrible news that we get about Terry Funk, it reminds us that as wrestling fans, we should be talking about Terry Funk as often as humanly possible. He's on that real short list. I put, there's a list of people who just personify pro wrestling. Terry Funk's on that list. Brett the Hitman Hart is on that list. I, I, at some point, I'll put that list together. But just amazing. Just, a, just an amazing, amazing person. So all, all good hopes for his family and everything. Um, as we talk about, uh, and for Terry himself, of course, as we talk about all that, uh, we move into the future of wrestling. We talk about the past. But let's talk about the future. You know, we bring up the independents. Let's talk about the independents and the fact that the independents are coming back strong. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Nick Gage on the podcast, and he was talking about the match that he has coming up with Matt Cardona, the former Zack Ryder. By the way, if you want to watch that show, that's going to be at GCW Homecoming on July 24th. It's going to be on Fight TV. I have a Fight TV code. I got If you want to watch it for free, I will send you the code. I have one code to give out. What I want you to do is email notsamwrestling at gmail.com and give me a description of how badly Nick Gage is going to beat and assault Matt Cardona. The best description of the damage that Nick Gage is going to inflict on Matt Cardona will be able to watch GCW Homecoming both nights for free on Fight TV. 
So email me at notsamwrestling at gmail.com and we'll get that done. But somebody who's wrestled for GCW, somebody who's wrestled uh, on the independents throughout the country is Lee Moriarty. Lee Moriarty is a guy who, when the conversation comes up about who's next, his name always comes up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that I'm sitting here now and he's not already signed by somebody. He is so much fun to watch, so fluid, so organic, so, I mean, so realistic, he's believable. And he's super athletic. He's just, he's a guy who I was very curious about, especially at this phase in his career, when there's a lot of people talking about him. And like, he's just hitting that point where potential, original potential is starting to be realized and show itself as even greater potential for what can happen in the future. Um, I believe this young man's future is incredibly bright in the world of professional wrestling. And I also wanted to get to know him a little bit. So I invited him into the Not Sam studio to sit down in person, in person. So beautiful to say, to have a conversation here on Not Sam Wrestling. This week's guest is Lee Moriarty. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. I am super happy to have here in the Not Sam studio, a person who, if you've been following independent wrestling for the last year or so, it's a name you've probably heard if you haven't had the pleasure of seeing him wrestle. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, all caps, Tiger style, Lee Moriarty is here. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Probably, uh, probably not as good as you. I feel like uh, just... Like, I feel as a fan, as I'm watching, like, we're at this spot where it seems like independent wrestling is ready to have another moment. You know what I mean? Like, it feels ready to pop off again. It feels like people are so excited to get out of their houses, mm -hmm. so excited to go to shows again. There's a whole new generation of talent that I feel like people were a little bit worried about when AEW popped up and everybody started getting signed up. And it's like, what's going to happen to the independents? And now... The dust kind of settled over the last year, ironically, in the most difficult time to put on wrestling shows. Mm -hmm. And I feel like your name is is coming up every time that, that dust settles in various different conversations. Yeah, I think, like you said, wrestling, especially independent wrestling, is about to go through a boom period where everything is about to pick up like crazy. You see GCW touring all over the place. Yeah. Oh, the West Coast is about to come back, I think. The Northeast and Midwest specifically, or what like was always able to try to find a way to run during the pandemic, but now that everything is starting to open back up, like more things in the South, more things in the West Coast, everything like that, it's really going to pick up. And I was fortunate that I live on the Northeast, so even though there was those three months where no one was wrestling at all, once everything came back, it was like clockwork, and I was just able to just get right back in there because I had momentum before the pandemic. So it kind of picked up. Yeah. And you could feel that momentum building, right? Like, you know when it's kind of happening. Yeah, a little bit. Like, just the response and reaction. At the beginning of that year in 2020 is when I started really traveling out more. So I wrestled for a sub grab in Tennessee in January. Then I started wrestling more in Indiana. I had that match with Alex Shelley at AIW, which was, like, the big breakout moment. And then from there, I just, like, started snowballing. But then, of course everything gets cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
that's what's so cool to me that there are still those stories on the independence, like in a world where everything is so almost globalized, like mm -hmm. the idea that well, I went to Tennessee and I made a splash with this audience and I went to this, like there's still that sort of territory feel that I think is actually coming back more so than has always been there. I feel like, like it's more territorial and that there are more, independent wrestlers that are sitting there going like, okay, now I need to make my mark on this ter territory and that territory. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Like my goal currently is to get on the West coast more because there's people who know you are on the internet, but there's a lot of people that aren't on Twitter or aren't on uh, Instagram and stuff like that. So you have to be at these live events in front of them from them to get to know you, understand who you are. There's people that still, I might be considered one of the top independent names to a lot of people, I guess. But there's a lot that there's a lot of people that don't know who I am. So yeah. I need to introduce myself to them by traveling out there and getting those opportunities to be on those events in front of them directly. I also I mean, I think that also you're the perfect person to be kind of here in this moment. I feel like 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, it was like if you were the top guy in the independence, you'd come around going like, yeah, I'm the top guy, my spot. Anybody who wants to take my spot is going to have to take it from me. And I feel like culture has shifted. I feel like society has shifted. And I feel like the vibe really more is now like, yeah, I mean, I get, I guess I'm, people say I'm the top guy, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Like the way wrestling is now, there's so many more opportunities also. So I think people are a little more comfortable helping each other out. Right. So, now there's like what seven companies you can wrestle for on national TV with a contract and stuff like that, and even also I think people have a better understanding of what pro wrestling is, as I guess a business in a way. My spot is not up for grabs for anybody else because I'm completely unique to myself. If someone's looking to fill something on TV, there's no one that's going to fit and do exactly what I'm doing or on an independent show and fit exactly what I'm doing. I specifically molded and created Lee Moriarty, Tiger style, so that I would be unique and I would stand out. So I'll help out anybody I can because I want professional wrestling as a whole to succeed. And I'm also not worried about anybody trying to take a spot that's specifically curated for me. Right, like you invented it. And I think yeah. that that's... That's so smart that I see a lot of people doing now. And I feel like that that's the other kind of wave of the future is that you create your own identity so that if you want, I mean, and there are people who don't even want to go to bigger companies. They're like, no, I want to just, you know, do what I'm doing. I figured out this business works for me and I'm going to, I'm going to do it this way. Hmm. But even people that want to go to the bigger companies, the idea that you create a product that they want, as opposed to trying to fill a hole that they have. Right. Like, I don't think that that ever really works long-term filling the spot that they've created, you know? I agree. And especially the way things are now, if you're so focused on doing what works to get to this company, you can miss something out on another place because you're only your eyes. You have these blinders on just trying to get there. The way I'm trying to do things is I'm just trying to be unique to myself and make myself a valuable brand no matter where I go. I don't want to just focus on company A or company B. Right. I'm just trying to be valuable to professional wrestling in general. Right. Yeah, yeah. You just want to be good at what you do. Yeah. Like, and then people will recognize that you're good at what you do and you'll fit in where you fit in, but it'll right. make sense and it'll be organic. I also, I get really excited when you and somebody that wrestles like you is a professional wrestler. Because mm -hmm. I feel like as a fan who's been watching for a long time, 
we lose people like you to MMA a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the people who grow up with that, like who really value the grappling and the, and the competitiveness. And when you wrestle, and I, you know, I like all different types of wrestling, obviously, right. but when you wrestle specifically, it makes sense. Like it feels like the moves that you're doing make sense to the match that you're in. It doesn't feel like professional wrestling as much as I'm getting lost in this thing where, yeah, that's what this person would do to win this match that he's in. But most people who have that mindset are competitive on that level that they want, you know, non-scripted competition, right? They want right. MMA, they want grappling, they want, the, and there's so many v avenues for that too. Mm -hmm. So with your athletic ability, what was it about professional wrestling that drew you in? Uh, the freedom as an artist. Mm. I think in MMA, you had some extent of a freedom, but as it's gone on, it's become more and more direct. Like you see the way UFC is like Reebok mm -hmm. compared to how it was when I was growing up. There was like logos all over the place and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And there's still characters and personalities like Conor McGregor and stuff like that. But in professional wrestling, I can be as loud as I want in terms of like where I'm wearing, the way I presented myself online. I didn't have to like do stuff specifically for this company. And when you get on major TV, obviously there's partnerships and brands, so I get why they do that. But I like the idea of being completely unique and being an artist. And that's what I think pro wrestling is, is the perfect combination of art and sport. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you don't have that conversation with like fighters that you go, oh, who makes your gear? You're like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> what did I model? It's fight shorts. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, this idea that like there's not many fighters that – come to the cage in a mask and then take it off just because it looks cool. Cause it's a thing. Like is what, so, so the, so the performance part of it appealed to you. Yeah. Like the presentation is a big thing for me. Yeah. Like when I come out with the mask and the headphones, they're all a part of me. It's not just something that look cool. There's a reason I come out. There's a reason I wear what I wear, the colors I choose and all this stuff. So the presentation is extremely important to me. The wrestling is always going to come first. Mm-hmm but I need to make myself unique and I want to express myself. And as time has gone on, I figured out the Tiger style thing and figured out how to express myself through that. Like I studied MMA. I never formally took any MMA, MMA classes other than Taekwondo for a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I had all those proper tools. So I made this look proper and I made this look realistic and I made it look like I was taking it seriously because I am, but I also want to bring in people that are maybe more art fans I want to bring in people that grew up watching Adult Swim. Yes. That grew up watching Toonami and stuff like that that maybe aren't into wrestling yet because they haven't seen something that connected with them. There's still a whole generation of people that aren't spoken to because a lot of times, like, when I was growing up and you were watching WWE on pay-per-view, it was mostly rock and roll music. And occasionally you have, like, Pitbull or Flo Rider. It's only recently that you had Denzel Curry with an NXT song. It's stuff like that. That's going to connect to more people. And I want to connect to more people and a more audience so that wrestling grows bigger. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm really glad you said that, actually, because that was what I was going to bring up. That when it comes to your presentation, I feel like a lot of your presentation uh, speaks to this huge portion of society mm. that I feel like doesn't get spoken to in wrestling. I feel like, you know, we're at a point now where kind of niche interests have taken over. There's not like mm. one thing that just, this is what young people are into, this is yeah. what they like, and so you can bring them on. It's like, you know, these little pockets are what makes up the whole thing. And there are so many little pockets right. that don't get spoken to, right? And I feel like everything that you were just saying, like 
there were plenty of people in wrestling that would be like, what? Grownups don't watch cartoons. But nobody in wrestling is being like, yeah, but there are grownups that watch cartoons. Exactly. And they should also feel like, oh, this guy's speaking to me. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, like when I grew up, you don't really lose interest in the stuff you grew up with because it becomes nostalgic to you and you still have that connection to it. Right. There's a lot of people like uh, Family Guy and American Dad. Those cartoons, like you could watch them as a kid and not understand jokes. And as you get older, there's jokes you understand. So you still have that connection. Yeah. There's always going to be a connection to that part of you. And I think sometimes they, certain companies, I don't want to say companies, but professional wrestling in general will leave that childhood part of you behind. And I don't want people to forget about what you loved when you were younger. I don't want to forget about what I loved when I was younger just because I'm older now. I still love Toonami. I still love Adult Swim. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also the idea that generations change, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm 37. So the idea to, like, I don't look back on Family Guy nostalgically. I don't yeah. even look at it as that old of a show mm -hmm. because I wasn't, like, I was in a, I, I was in my 20s, right? Yeah. So, like, but if I was 10 years younger, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the show from when I was a kid. Right. And so it wouldn't even occur to me to ever present that era in a nostalgic way, I'd be too busy going like, no, let's reference the 90s because that's what yeah. speaks to me, mm. which also should be there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think but that's what that's what's so important about having younger people involved that really kind of understand. Like I saw you uh, one interview you did or something. You're talking about MF Doom and how that's another influence on you. And I'm like, yes, like there, you don't none of that is in wrestling yeah. right now. And it's such a big part of real life. Right. I I couldn't tell you like detailed stuff about MF Doom, but I like presentation. It goes back to that. Like right. how he was always wearing his mask. Right. His unique way of rapping, his type of beats, those like samples and lo-fi's and that's cool sound that was always unique to me. So I created Tiger Style and I decided to spell in all caps to reference MF Doom. Mm -hmm. So that's always like these little things are important to me. The way I spell Tiger Style is from Wu Tang Clan's Ain't None F with song at the beginning. They say like Tiger style. That's how I chose to spell it. Awesome. <laughs> I wear the black and yellow as a reference to three things: Wu Tang Clan, Bruce Lee, and the Game of Death, and then Pittsburgh black and yellow. So it's like everything about me. There's these little things that once people catch on, they appreciate what I'm doing more. So it's like the MF Doom. There's people that like MF Doom, but you don't see it on mainstream wrestling. You don't see it on a lot of indies. But when you see it, you connect to that person more. Right. And I also love too that like. That's where it becomes this amalgamation, right? It's not like you're just sitting there talking to fellow 20-year-olds. You're sitting there going like, yeah, there's Wu-Tang references in here from the 90s. There's Bruce Lee from the 70s. There's like, <laughs> like it's, it's it's this whole thing where there are so many people that can look at what you do and be like, oh, that's cool. I get that. I don't know this other stuff, but I get that part, and that's mm -hmm. cool. And then they start watching, and then you get them to stick around for the match. And they watch the wrestling, and then it's like, okay, this is this is where it's it's... It's foolproof, right? This is where it's it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I do. I try to bring you in with these aesthetics that maybe you get as a fan of other things. And then when you watch me wrestle, I do World of Sports style wrestling. I do Lucha Libre style wrestling. I do the Japanese Puro style wrestling, the American theatrical stuff. I try to blend everything, but not just like throw stuff in here, I want it to flow properly. Right. So that's why I study what I do as much as I do because I want these things to call back. And I'm not the smartest historian in professional wrestling. Like, I couldn't tell you the date and the month and all this stuff that this thing happened, but I can reference, like, a Les Kellett match from a World of Sport thing 
And some people won't understand who that is, but they might look up that name and now this person became a fan of World of Sport. This person might see me do a move and I'll reference it online as like Super Astro. And now they'll go back and watch Lucha Libre when it was in black and white. Mm -hmm. So I want wrestling fans and I want hip hop fans. I want anime fans. I want everybody to come together. (laughs) It's awesome. When they see the overall package, that's Lee Moriarty. So when did you kind of start going back through the history of all this stuff? When did we, are you the type of person that like when you're interested in something, you don't just consume what's right in front of you. You just go in head first or was there a period where you were like, no, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do all my research. I'm going to have to go way back. I'm going to have to start looking at tapes. I'm going to have to start looking at black and white Lucha Libre. Um, I think as an artist, I become obsessive with something Mm -hmm. and I try to figure out and break it down. So that's where that comes from. Like when I find something I like, I become obsessed and I research it. When I, my dad first showed me a Bruce Lee movie, I became obsessed with it from that fight scene with the nunchucks in the back of the restaurant. And I watched as much Bruce Lee as I could. I watched his interviews and stuff like that. And with wrestling, uh, after my first year or in my first year, I tore my labrum in my shoulder. So mm-hmm. I was out for a little about a little while. I came back in 2017 and I did a seminar with who's now known as Joaquin Wild. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he like went through all this stuff and he did Lucha Libre and I got like really into it because you can kind of learn Lucha Libre here in the United States, but there is like a lot of little things to make it look proper or make do it properly that people don't know about. So to have someone teach you these little things, it like made me interested in more. And then I went down to Mexico and I went to train for a week just to pick up more things. And then I was like, okay, I want to do this in my wrestling matches, but I want it to flow. I've always been into the world of sports stuff. Like I'm a big Colt Cabana fan, the mm. way he combines the comedy and that technical side. So I wanted to add that, but I wanted to study it properly. My thing is I have a respect for professional wrestling and I want to understand everything instead of just doing something like a copy and paste. Right. Right. Now so from the well, so let's talk about Mexico then. Do you just like kind of fall in love with the lucha style and just decide one day, I'm just gonna go down to Mexico to train? Did you have a gig in Mexico and you were like well, while I'm down here, I can also train for a week? Or was it really, no, I got to get more involved. I got to take a week. I know a guy down there. I can do this. It was walking wild again. I was at work, and he messaged me. He was like, what are you doing this month? I think it was at the end of April. Mm -hmm. It was when he was going down for his tour in Mexico for a month. I was like, I don't have anything, because this is before I was getting booked a lot. So he's like, come to Mexico. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Short notice. I just figured out how to get the money together, and I went down for a week, and I spent... And this is actually the time he got that, like, serious injury. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't get to, like, hang out with him a lot, but he set it up. So I stayed with someone named Lowrider and his wife, Sadika. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, really, really good, and they're smart about what they do. Like, Sadika is a well-known deathmatch wrestler. Mm-hmm. Lowrider, he is – he does everything. He's a crazy dude. But I got to stay with them, and I just went around. Like, I wrestled in Pachuca. Uh, my first match – was in the same building that Ultimo Dragon had his first match in, in Mexico. So that was pretty cool. And I would just go around like I wrestled in a police station. I wrestled <laughs> like in a swap meet type place. It was just all over the place and it was cool. But I wanted to go there because that opportunity is rare to get invited by someone who knows all that to yeah. get down there and learn. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go do this. And when I got down there, I asked him because I didn't know him that well and he didn't know me that well. But we had like a, his trainer is Shirley Doe, who's like a Pittsburgh staple. And I guess Shirley Doe talked well about me to him. So he, when I got down there, I talked to him and he was like, I wanted to see if you would actually come. He wanted, it was like a test to yeah. see if I was taking this seriously. And I went down there and I did it. 
Yeah, that's so. So he probably was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna invite this kid. He's not gonna come." And when you're like, <laughs> "Okay," <laughs> it was like, "It was like, oh, okay, we're really doing this then." That oh, is yeah. the thing that'll bring a connection like way closer really quick, though, right? Like, yeah. like when he realizes. So also, I have to imagine that for someone like you that's so passionate about this stuff to be around somebody like Joaquin Wild, who like has been doing this forever, but still yeah. is like the biggest wrestling fan and like he loves wrestling so much yeah that that's got to be an energy that you just like being around right it's amazing he'll i remember this one time a few months ago when everything was shut down he randomly sent me like french wrestling from i don't know the 60s or something he was talking about the stuff he was learning in the performance center or whatever or he was sending me just completely out of nowhere matches and i would study him and i would see these little things that were cool that no one does anymore and it's that thing like what's old is new again. Yeah. But he he's a super nerd. Yeah. Wrestling. Like he studies everything. He analyzes everything. He's constantly changing and evolving. You saw how he had like the LED lights. Yes. And stuff like that. And he goes to NXT and he changes it again. And then he's with Legalo de Fantasma. He changes that again. He's just always evolving. And that's cool. Yeah. 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 And he's, I, I, I love meeting people in that position that like, because there's so much cynicism. You know, about, I mean, about every, I mean, anything people are passionate about, their cynicism about, the, but their cynicism about wrestling. So when you meet people that are actually doing it day in, day out and have done it forever and have none of it, yeah. like are still like, no, this is the best stuff in the world. You're like, okay, you yeah, know, I thought it was the best stuff in the world. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you're reminding me of that. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that. I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by those kind of people. So walking a while is one. Alex Shelley is another. Mm -hmm. These guys that will go out of their way to help somebody if they see that they're passionate about it and they see that they're a good person. So Alex Shelley will give anybody advice to ask him to if he's able to. Walking Wild will do the same thing. There's so many people that would try to do that. Like you had Nick Gage on your show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you had Ali Catch. Yeah. And she was talking about how Nick Gage watches every match and stuff. And he does. He will watch everything. You'll go back to the current. He'll be the first person. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he gets hyped. He gets you more hyped than you are already hyped. It's super cool. There's a lot of good people in wrestling. And I think it's important to focus on that. Yeah. I heard a story. I won't blow up uh, the spot of the person who told it to me about Nick Gage, though, who like, it was like a really early CCW show and they were on it and uh, like they, they worked the opening match mm. and they came back. And of course, Gage was the first person they saw and he was all hyped. Like, yeah, that's how you open a show. <laughs> that's how you open a show. And he goes like years later, it was like WrestleMania in New Orleans. It might've been even the second WrestleMania in New Orleans. And this person was walking down the street and Gage was trying to get into a spot to say what's up to Samoa Joe. And he went up to him and he was like, Hey man, do you think you could, CZW, you're the guy. That metric, and he still, he still had it in his head. And I was like, yes, this is, this is what it's all about, right? Yeah, that's Gage. He will remember <laughs> you from, like he, we met at an AIW show because he was on AIW regularly. He remembered me pretty much instantly. Mm -hmm. And then anytime we see each other, even if it's just in passing, he'll go out of the way just to check on me and how I'm doing and stuff like that. He's a really cool dude. That's awesome. That's awesome, especially because. People who just know the character Nick Gage wouldn't wouldn't assume that at well, all. I mean, his character is scary as hell. So <laughs> yeah, I get it really it, is. But, yeah. <laughs> so what what got you into into being a wrestling fan from the beginning? Like, what was the thing that turned you into a wrestling fan, which then turned you into a wrestling nerd? Uh, the Boogeyman. No. Yeah, I was channel surfing, <laughs> and I came across that when I was like 11 or 12 years old on SmackDown. Mm -hmm. And the Boogeyman, I caught it right at the perfect time because he was making his entrance. 
and I'm so confused as to what I'm watching because this guy just comes out with worms drooling out of his mouth, smashes an alarm <laughs> clock on his head, and he starts gyrating. I don't know what I'm watching, but it's interesting. Yeah. He gets in the ring, and he he fights two guys, like enhancement talent. And I was like, oh, this is cool, because I was really into martial arts and stuff like that, so it was fighting, but it was also this crazy like horror movie going on. So like, my mom's a big horror movie fan, so I think that influenced me a little bit too. So that connection, I just started watching immediately, and then I found out about Rey Mysterio and Batista and Jeff Hardy from SmackDown. So SmackDown became my show, and Jeff Hardy became my favorite wrestler. And then I discovered ECW, and then Raw, and then Impact, and New Japan. And I just kept more and more, especially because I grew up in the age of the internet, so it was easy for me to just research whatever I wanted or find whatever wrestling I wanted. Yeah, find stuff on YouTube and everything. I just love, yeah, because that alarm clock thing, it's like, I mean, I get that, like, eating worms is scary, but why did he just break an alarm clock over his head? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know, but it was cool. <laughs> what, what what movies did, did your mom get you into as a kid? That's so cool that your mom was into horror movies. So I'm not into horror movies all like that for real, for real, but she was. I remember as a kid, like, watching stuff. I was like, I don't know if I should be watching this. But also, like, they didn't really scare me like that, I guess, because my mom watched them so much that so I was, like, conditioned, like, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Uh, the Final Destination movies a yeah. lot. Chucky, stuff like that. Like, yeah, because I'm trying to figure out when can I, like, my kid's four. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't have him watch these <laughs> movies yet. But, like, yeah. I really want to get him, like, we got to watch wrestling. We got to watch horror movies. This is what we got to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, yeah, your parents do give you that foundation. So you're sitting there. When when you watch The Boogeyman, mm-hmm. are you, is that one of the people? Because, again, you're talking about presentation. Is that one of the people that you're like, yeah, that's part of what I, I want to do. That makes me want to be a wrestler on some level. Or was it? Like the the Jeff Hardys, the Rey Mysterios, the more athletic guys that did that for you? I think the Boogeyman is what caught my attention. Mm-hmm. But probably the Jeff Hardys and Rey Mysterios was what made me want to start doing it. And then I think I really started taking it seriously when I found New Japan Pro Wrestling, Prince Devitt, and stuff like that through the Best of the Super Juniors tournaments. And even... um. I think I saw a little bit in New Japan whenever TNA had a partnership with them. Because I yeah. remember... Tetsuya Naito and Yujiro Takahashi has no limit as a tag team. And even there was a point, the World X Cup, I remember Milano Collection 18 because of the Invisible Dog and Masato <laughs> Yoshino and all this stuff. And also, uh, I think we had Comcast and there's like the on-demand stuff uh-huh. and they'll have Dragon Gate USA little clips and stuff to like try to get you to buy a pay-per-view. So I would see Dragon Gate stuff. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Right. Right. Yeah. So you you figured out pretty early on that wrestling is a far-reaching yeah. Thing that there's not like there's not just this one thing on TV. There's many different things on TV and many yeah. different things around the world. Yeah, all times of the day. There was Raw at two a.m. on the weekends. There uh-huh. was Impact was on Wednesday or something. I was channel surfing again and I saw Sting face paint. So I don't know, maybe it's a face paint thing that gets my attention. <laughs> but I remember seeing all that. So there's just wrestling was this, all the time. Which version of Sting was this? Crow Sting or Joker Sting or uh, do you even remember? I don't. I think it was just like just the classic sting that people know now. Yeah, I remember. I think it was around the time that um, and I could be wrong about this timeline, but I remember around the time it was AJ Styles, Christian Cage, and Tomka were in like their group, and LAX was around. So yeah, it was that timeline. Yeah. No, I just. I mean, just this thought came into my head as you were talking about it mm-hmm. that there's. I mean, so many people mm-hmm. that recognize Sting and know exactly who he is. I have no idea what this movie The Crow is. Like I don't know I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you why do they call him Crow Sting? Do they have a crow? I don't understand. Yeah, I uh 
I, I didn't grow up with WCW, but yeah. I saw Crow Sting before I actually saw the Crow movie. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. And you're like, and that's so funny too, because you're a Bruce Lee fan. And, and you're like, what? Brandon, yeah. Brandon Lee is ripping off Sting? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when did the sort of logical approach that you have to wrestling was that because of the New Japan influence? You know, you're what, what you were talking about before, where you, where you want these matches to make sense. You want the the logic to be there where it's like, this would be what a person does. This is the move that a person would do to either escape this hold, mm -hmm. to win this match. Like, you know, there are moves that you do in wrestling for presentation mm -hmm. and you can do things far more realistically. And I feel like you lean more towards that realism side. Mm -hmm. What was, what went into that decision-making when you were figuring out your style? Uh, so the basic part of it was when I was in high school and I wanted, I didn't join the wrestling team, but I did practice with people that were on the wrestling team because in our uh, strength and training class, there was the wrestling room upstairs so you can just practice. So I just wanted to get that foundation mm -hmm. just to understand the basic holes because there was wrestlers like Kurt Angle also from Pittsburgh who was an Olympic wrestler. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I wanted to have that at least solid foundation. And it paid off because I was in um, Texas for New Texas Pro, and the commentator he was asking like, "How long did I do MMA or wrestling?" I was like, "I never did it," but he was like, "You move like you drop your hips and stuff like that," so it seems like I do, and that's just because I watched it a lot. Like I don't have the proper technique in jujitsu stuff, mm -hmm. but I have a basic understanding enough because I watch like a technique a hundred times just to try to figure it out. Right. And then with the way I am now, I think as I discovered more technical wrestlers like Zack Sabre Jr., Jonathan Gresham, even Alex Jelly and Chris Saban, stuff like that. I wanted to bring that in because I like that style. I don't consider myself a technical wrestler, but I like the technical wrestling approach. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the idea, too, that, like, a, a, a jiu-jitsu guy mm -hmm. would look at that and be like, Ma, I don't think he really knows it. Yeah. But a wrestling fan would be like, he definitely knows jujitsu. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that line that you want right. to walk, right? Like yeah. that's exactly that's the sweet spot where you want to be. So then, when like Prince Devitt becomes Finn Balor and mm -hmm. and DJ Z becomes Walking Wild, and and you start seeing the way some of this wrestling translates onto a mainstream product like WWE, because before that was going on. There felt like there was two styles of wrestling. There was this, mm -hmm. there was non WWE, there was WWE. Yeah. And it was that, I think Finn Balor was one of the really early ones that made it go like, no, no, no. Like, mm -hmm. good is good is good. And good yeah. works where good works. Did you look at that and go like, oh, this is evolving? Yeah, it was the NXT stuff, especially Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Yes. That, and then they added Neville, and then Finn Balor came over, but watching how NXT developed. And then watching it translate over to their main roster stuff. Uh, Ring of Honor was getting... Ring of Honor was popular in like kind of that little niche thing. Mm -hmm. But then they got their Sinclair Bros casting her. So then they were... It's still like kind of not a major network, but it has wide reach. So I saw like how this stuff was influencing mainstream wrestling in terms of WWE. Even now with AEW, you see this style, which is like you would be used to seeing in PWG. Right. Now it's on TV. And it's, that's really cool. It's seeing that shift. Yeah. And, but it's a mix still. There's still those people that they know when to do things mm -hmm. and not go crazy. But there's, it's interesting watching stuff on NXT and people do like 
bumps from the top rope onto the floor and it's like, all right. <laughs> but it makes, like, it flows well. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that first TakeOver show in Brooklyn where they sold out an arena full of people mm-hmm. that they were expecting to do, like, 5,000 seats. And they were like, no, we got to open up the whole arena because it's going to sell out. That was kind of the wake-up call where it was like, yeah. oh, oh, this is just wrestling, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that I think that it influenced kind of a whole generation following that. And it led to people like you who can sit there and go like, no, there's there's a lot of different ways to do this. So when you're developing your style, Taiga style, mm. which is a combination of everything that you've picked up on, mm. um, do you see it as like, oh, is it branding? I mean, it's a little bit of branding, obviously, regardless, but is mm. it more branding or is it more like, I really want to push forward this idea of melding these styles together. Um, something my trainers told me about early on is like you want to be versatile so you can work with as many different styles as possible because that makes you more valuable. Yes. So that was a big thing I wanted to learn. Even if I didn't use it, I wanted to learn how to like base for stuff in Lucha Libre. And then when I got more into it, that's when I started wanting to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So that was that thing. And then Tiger Style became a branding and marketing thing. Yeah. And as more time goes on, I learned how to mix that branding with my wrestling. Because another thing Walking Wild would tell me is, um, like, it's cool having this thing during your entrance, but how does it translate into what you're doing in the ring? So smart. So I had to figure out how to mix and combine that and make everything flow. And that's like a Bruce Lee quote, be water and be formless and shapeless. Yeah. So I try to make my wrestling, my presentation, whether you see me online or wherever at, it all flows together. And I think, too, the thing about independent wrestling and why it's so important to have an identity is that because you're going from organization to organization and you're going from audience to audience, there has to be some common thread that, like, mm-hmm. a Lee Moriarty match has a feeling. Like, it's not yeah. going to be the same match every time. But mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like there's, like, the show is going to be the show. Mm-hmm. But you have to have control over that feeling that the audience gets when when you get there. And I think that that's something that, like, top people mm-hmm. figure out. Because, like, you know, there 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 is this thing that when you become a person that people are talking about, it almost has to transcend whatever location or venue or organization you're with and go, like, no, this, this, this is a great brand. Mm-hmm. And then this thing that you're creating doesn't change depending on where you go. It's this product that gets presented every time you get in the ring. Are you, are you, do you share that philosophy? Are you figuring that out as you go? I agree. I think it's important to be completely unique because um, I, certain there's ways wrestling works. Like on shows, you have a card and the way it used to be as constructive was like, you don't want match one to outshine like a match later on the card and stuff. But the yeah. way wrestling is now is everybody's just like, just show out. And there would be a lot of promoters that would say that. They don't, like, I don't want you to have a better match than this thing. They'll just, like, just show out. And you have to figure out how you're going to show out in a unique way. I'm not going to try to compete with these people that can do 630s and stuff. I'm athletic, but I don't know how to do it. I could probably learn it, but I don't know how to do it. Right. So I'm going to do, I'm going to play to my strengths. And I'm going to figure out how to make my stuff unique. I'm going to figure out how to make my match with wrestler A versus wrestler B look completely different. Because wrestler A and wrestler B are completely different. Bruce Lee did not approach every fighter in every movie the same way. He didn't approach a goon the same way he approached Chuck Norris or O'Hara and other, like 
every fighter is every fight is different and adapting so you have to adapt that's a great point and bruce lee works with that right like depending on who else is in the movie the bruce lee fights are going to be different and the fight scenes are going to be different but you're going to know you watched a Bruce Lee fight. You're going to know you watched a Bruce Lee movie. You know what that feels like, and you know why it's different than any other martial arts movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's signatures, and that's kind of like wrestling. You have these signature things, or you have a signature movement. I did the uh, a show called The Mass Wrestler, mm-hmm. where it was like everybody was a mystery. And no matter how hard I tried, people were still able to figure out it was me. Even though I had a mask, <laughs> I didn't do any of my like signature offense just because the way I move and the way I flow and put things together. So I've without even knowing it, I created this thing that's like identifiable and uniquely me. That must have felt great that you couldn't pull off the mass wrestler. Like that must have <laughs> felt great that like this that that, that you were having that kind because that's really having an impact on people, right? Where mm-hmm. they, they're picking up on all these little things that you're doing that yeah. you're not even necessarily doing on purpose. Right. It's just what you do. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that I didn't even know I do this. And all the people watching are well aware that I do like that's that's pretty that's pretty remarkable yeah it, it's it's cool but I also hated it because I couldn't fool people and I was, I was trying really hard to like convince people that I was Wheeler Yuta I was doing a lot of his offense and stuff like that uh-huh. or I was at least trying to convince them that it wasn't me yeah but it didn't work out and I feel like I shouldn't have had a pink mask because I wear pink all the time <laughs> but because someone is like you wear pink or uh, someone pointed out my kick pads uh-huh. that I wore in a show like two years ago they're, they're high spots kick pads anybody can have them but people are like <laughs> It's like, all right, whatever. I couldn't fool people, but I'm happy that I like I did come to the realization that I move in a way that's unique to me or I present wrestling in a way that's unique to me. That's so funny that you had high spots kick pads. They're like, no, no, those are yours. You're like, I mean, you could have them. It's It's in stock. Like anybody can just go buy them right now. But of course, it hasn't connected me. I was watching your, uh, uh, your, documentary that you did for IWTV like mm-hmm. where they gave you the camera and like you know a, whatever a period of time in your life or whatever yeah. and I thought it, my favorite part was when you went to Target to buy a kettlebell yeah. and I'll tell you because like you know I, I never even considered you know you just hear about wrestlers and then maybe they'll get a day gym membership or they'll do this and you don't even like just the thought I thought it was brilliant when you were like I'm gonna go to Target <laughs> and I'm just gonna go buy a kettlebell real quick and then I'm gonna like find a spot outside because it's a nice day and I'll get a workout in. And I'm like, that's yeah. genius. I mean, I don't know how long that's been going on, but but I'm like, yeah, this is the DIY lifestyle of an independent wrestler. It was just a, it was a genius move, I thought. Yeah, like there's gyms around me and my one of the wrestling schools has a gym. I was like, okay, it's nice all the time. I'm gonna take advantage of it. I'm gonna work out. I had a kettlebell, but like I've grown stronger since that one, so I need another one. There's nothing wrong. So and it just worked out conveniently that I had the camera for those two weeks when that time came. So all right, I'll record myself working out. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. put some music behind yeah. it. Like yeah, yeah, do the whole thing. Um, when you start to build this reputation, and when people start to know your name, and there is that expectation, right? Like when your name's on the card now for a certain group of people. They're going to have expectations for the match, which even two years ago, yeah, you didn't really have to deal with. I mean, you you had to sit there and go like, oh, I got to I got to try to make an impact. I got to make try to make sure that people remember my name. Hmm. Now people remember your name. And it's like you have to live up to the expectations that they have now. Is that any added pressure or do you have a level of confidence in kind of what you've learned and the way your skill has grown? So I think maybe at a point there was a time that it affected me, 
But since the beginning of my career, I've been put in situations where I never thought I was ready for. My first ever professional wrestling match, I won a tag team championship. My second ever wrestling match, I wrestled someone from Japan who was on excursion. Mm -hmm. So these are these positions like I didn't think I was ready for, but I was putting them. When I wrestled Alex Jelly, I didn't think I was ready for that, but I was putting. I'm always putting these positions that I don't think I'm ready for, and also there's no amount of pressure that someone else can make me feel that I don't put on myself. I always put pressure on myself because everybody else has these expectations of me, but it's like people think I'm good. People think I'm like one of the better independent wrestlers. People think the best wrestler in North America. I don't like that. I don't agree at all. And I think that's because I can't take myself out of where I am right now to see that. Yeah. But I yeah. always feel like I have something to prove. Um, I was a breakout star independently last year. but That was during a pandemic. There was a lot of people that weren't wrestling. There was like a whole part of the country was shut off. In international talent wasn't over here. Um, there were people that just weren't comfortable wrestling in that situation. So there's a part of me that thinks like, was I ready or did I deserve those spots or was it like a next man up kind of thing? Mm. So that's always going to be a chip on my shoulder. And that's why recently I made a post saying like my goal by the end of the summer is to be top 10 wrestler. I saw that. And that's because everybody else might think that, but I need to believe in myself that I am the top 10. And now that everything's opening back up, this is my time to prove it and prove that it wasn't like it just worked out that I was in these situations that I deserve to be in these positions. I get that. I get that. Cause like from my perspective, if I'm a guy at the show watching you, mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, this dude's the shit. He's the man. He's the best. <laughs> you, I mean, you're still the kid that went to wrestling school, right? Like you're yeah. still like, it, it's not like that much changes inside your head because you're the one who's on the journey. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I think for most of this stuff, whether it's wrestling or especially anything creative, I mean, with athletics, like with sports, Mm-hmm. They're stats. Right. And they don't lie. And the stats are the stats and that's it. But with with performance, yeah. <laughs> it's like I it's so subjective. And yeah, yeah. and you go like, okay, if they're saying I'm good, I guess I'm good. Like I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, right? Right. Yeah. I remember I posted that Tony Deppin was saying the same thing. Like it's subjective, so you can't really be a top ten, but Bruce Lee, again, has a quote about sometimes goals aren't always meant to be reached. It's something to aim at. So it's like, what are you going to accomplish trying to get to such an unattainable goal? Mm. So maybe that goal of being top 10 unanimously is unattainable, but I want to see what I can accomplish trying to get there. I love that, like, you're too... What I'm learning here in this conversation is Bruce Lee and Joaquin Wilder, you're two guys. <laughs> those, much, those, yeah. those, those are the two guys. So do you have an opinion then? Who do you think is like, if you don't think that you're the best independent wrestler in North America right now, mm -hmm. who do you think is the best North, the best independent wrestler in North America? So I think the top 10 can be rotated between like 20 and 25 wrestlers in the United States yeah. alone. I think, I don't, I don't know who's officially the best, but, yeah, uh, like Daniel Garcia and Willow Yuta are guys I think those are the guys I'm chasing because mm. like my age group and our styles of wrestling those are guys I'm chasing but there's also AJ Gray there's Chris Dickinson and Tony Deppin they're on Ring of Honor they're on New Japan but they're still independent Right. there's even guys that are signed to MLW like Myron Reed and Calvin Tankman they're signed but they're consistently competing on the independents so I still count them mm -hmm. Ally Catch is doing extremely well like changing over what her, who, her, who she is yeah like Trisha Dora is doing extremely well. Darius Lockhart does well. He's always like 
he has that star energy. There's so many great wrestlers. Suge D, he's redefining who he is to a new generation audience as well as proving something to an older generation. There's so much good wrestling. I can't say that I'm the top 10 until I can prove it when everything's full strength. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's it's there. Like this is the summer that it's happening. It's literally happening. Like I feel like as we're having this conversation. Um so with that in mind, I mean, you know that people any anyone people are talking about, the way people are talking about you, mm. clearly big companies are looking, right? Like especially right now where there's a high level of competition and there is for the first time in a long time, there's a battle of who's getting signed up. Everybody's getting signed to contracts, and it's like, I got to sign this person first. I got to sign that person first. Mm -hmm. I know that you're going to be doing stuff with MLW. Mm -hmm. um, are Is there a thought in your mind as to like, okay, whether I think I'm ready for it or not, whether I think it's true or not, mm -hmm. I can acknowledge the conversation that's happening about me. And when that conversation has happened about other people, mm -hmm. people with a lot of money, I've said, like, come work for our organization and sign this contract and be a TV star. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's that's in your mind right now, that that could be in the near future for you? Or have those conversations kind of started happening? Uh, th there's been feelers and stuff like that in that terms, but it is something I think about, but I don't dwell on it too much because I don't know what these people are thinking. Mm -hmm. I did an interview with a wrestler who's also like a positive mental attitude and mental health guy. His name's Jackson Stone. And something I took away from that was he said, control what you can control. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff we can't control. I can work as hard as I possibly can, but if they're not interested or whatever, they're just not interested. That doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. It's just not the right time or yep. it's not the right place or whatever. I'm going to do what I'm going to do to become the best. That contract stuff, that's going to come when the time is right. I'm just focused on making wrestling better because I was taught, I believe, in making wrestling better than the way you found it. Yeah, and just going back to, to what we were talking about, just you can control being good at what you do. Mm -hmm. So just try to keep yeah. being better and better at what you do. You don't have to tell me where it is because it probably would not be good business to tell me <laughs> where it is. But in your mind, when you think as, like a, as, as a fan, mm -hmm. is there five years? You know, let's say when you're in your 30s, say. Yeah. Is there an organization whose logo you see wearing? And again, you don't have to tell me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you what the organization <laughs> is because that wouldn't be smart business on your part to just be like, yeah, I'd really like to go here. Please, I'm a big fan. Like, you know, I'm not gonna do that to you. Yeah. But I do want to know, like, in your deepest of thoughts that you would not speak of publicly, mm -hmm. is there like, yeah, it would be really cool. If a few years from now, yeah. this is the logo that was, you know, on my shirt. Yeah, there's a couple places that I would like to work. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple, whether it's signed or unsigned, there's places I would like to work. And like signed-wise, there's a few places that from the outside looking in mm -hmm. look like a lot of fun to me. Yes. I haven't experienced them, yes. but they look like a lot of fun. So, but obviously, like you're saying, like, obviously I wouldn't say publicly, but like, you know, my emails there and stuff like that. But the reason I want to say it publicly is because you can say this place. And then again, you can miss out on opportunities somewhere else that you totally. might want to work. Like totally. I just, I'm going to do what I do. And you don't know, for, I mean, it's so smart because you don't know from the outside yeah, where the best spot is. Mm -hmm. Like you could sit there and fantasize all you want, but like you don't have the information right. that would tell you like, yeah, this is, so why would you ignore any anything that's in front of you, right? Exactly. I'll never assume like this is 100% where I want to be because it might not be what you saw it as. Right. Like the rose-colored glasses. Right. 
I'm just going to wrestle. I'm going to have fun. I'm looking forward to wrestling for MLW. I'm excited about that because I like their product. That doesn't mean, like, I'm going in a free agent. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't sign there. That doesn't mean that I would sign there. It's just I'm focused on just what I can control, and what I can control is me wrestling and me giving a good performance. That's what I'm focused on. And with so many opportunities out there, right, and so mm-hmm. many people talking about you and everything, you also have to be able to not be blinded by just the idea of like, oh, they want me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's plenty of reason that if it's not right, that it's okay to say no and mm-hmm. wait till it is right from either the same people or somebody else, right? Yeah, especially the way now, like how there's so many places that can offer you a contract. Sometimes you'll get buzz a little bit, like you'll start to bubble up mm-hmm. and then you'll get signed. Whereas like, there's still so much I haven't accomplished as an yeah. wrestler. There's still more I could push that would make myself more valuable later on. Yes. So, and there's nothing wrong with like, if you're a wrestler right now and like you got buzz and someone's offering you, there's nothing wrong with taking that. There's nothing wrong with declining it and like betting on yourself. Like everybody's path is different. Everybody has their own vision. Everybody has like, no one's living in your shoes. So no one else can make the right decision for you, but you. Like for me, it's just, I want to do what I can do. and I want to see how far I can go. If the right thing comes in front of me at the right time, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. But I don't have blinders on. Yeah, and I think, too, at the end of the day, you can never get distracted over the fact that you're making a living wrestling. People are paying you to wrestle matches. Yeah. Like, that, for everybody, I think, that starts, like, that's a, that's a wrestling fan that's not just getting in it for a big check. Yeah. Most people are like, how great would it be if I could get paid to wrestle? Yeah, like, I get paid uh, to pay for my flights. Like, I'll travel. Like, I'll be going to the West Coast. Like, that's insane to think about. I've already, like, just this year, I've been to more states than most people in my family have their entire life, and that's because of professional wrestling. I've had so many opportunities. I've been out of the country because of professional wrestling, and that's amazing. I'm going back to Mexico because of wrestling. Yeah. I mean, bro, you can just roll into a Target and buy a kettlebell because <laughs> wrestling. They're paying for your kettlebell. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's tax write-off. It's workout yeah, equipment. Yeah, yeah. And you got the doc to prove it. Exactly. This, is, this is a business <laughs> expense. Um, have you, uh, now I want to see you, I want to see some independent organization get it done. Um, would like the the big fantasy match for you be Lee Moriarty versus the Boogeyman? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there is a way that we could get this done. He's still out there. Yeah. He's still painting up. He's yeah. still doing the character. I mean, he, st- he lives it. Uh-huh. So like, how great would that be? It'd be really cool. Like, it'd be such a weird match. It's so weird. But I like stuff like that. I yeah. like contrasting things. I'm wrestling Dan Housen in a few weeks, and our styles are so <laughs> contrasting. I like stuff like that. So I would look forward to it. My big dream match, independently, that could happen would be Chris Hero. But I don't know. Like, nobody knows what Chris Hero is doing. So oh. I yeah. But I like that you're putting that out into the universe, yeah. though. That's like... Chris Hero and Satoru Sayama, the first Tiger Mask, are my biggest influences in terms of my style. Chris Hero is another guy that was extremely versatile, especially for his size. So that influenced me a lot. Yeah. So where did when did you, at what point did you find Chris Hero? Because you would have had to go kind of backwards because yeah. that kind of, especially you know, I mean, obviously you can find him as Cassius Ono, but like mm-hmm. the the independent run that he was on, yeah. that was like kind of a few years before. Your time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and again, my timelines could be like mixed up, but it was when he was with Cesaro as the Kings of Wrestling, yeah. the Ring of Honor. Yeah. And I think they were on HDNet. So 
that was, was my first time seeing him. And then, of course, the internet, I would just go around looking for whatever I could find. Yeah. So it was really cool. And uh, he's a big fan of Duke. And my dad, that's my dad's college basketball team. So I was like, all right, he's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, like, Ring of Honor and around that same era, the Daniel Bryan comparisons get made, which to yeah. me, I feel like, I mean, just who, flattering, yeah, terrifying. Like, how on earth do you expect me to live up to the greatest wrestler ever? Like, who is better than Daniel Bryan? But who knows, you know? I mean, he didn't have Tiger style. Yeah. You know, I was going to say he didn't have a mask, but he did have a mask. He was the American Dragon. He yeah. had a mask in the very beginning, so he actually did. Um, how did you feel when those comparisons started getting made? I didn't understand it. I still like. <laughs> I still don't think we're like that similar or anything. Yeah. But I guess people see this technical wrestler that people connect it with like instantly. Mm-hmm. And I guess I have. There's something about me that people connect with me. Mm-hmm. And then I, the technical wrestler, I think I'm just well rounded. I don't think it's a technical wrestler. But <laughs> I guess there's little things that we do that make the connection. But I don't think we're that similar. But it's extremely humbling that people see me in that position. And maybe it's just because of the position I'm in right now in the independent scene that they see that. Right, right, and that's kind of the the first name that you grab yeah. to go like because he's the he's the forefather of it. How come you? Why are you so insistent on not being a technical wrestler? Like I feel like every time it's come up, you're like, just so you know, yeah, I'm not a technical wrestler. Like why? Why? How come it's so important for you that that gets out there? Because I think it goes against what Tiger Style is, and Tiger Style is being well rounded and being a student and a master of everything. I think when people think technical wrestling, they just think. This whole, this whole, this whole. Tentacle mm. wrestling is broad, but people's definition of what tentacle wrestling is is different than what it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm just well-rounded. I can do a tentacle match. I can have a match with Johnson and Gresham. And it's going back to what you're saying, like this match will look different than this match. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrestling someone else, I might just do a bunch of strikes. Right. Like I did Taekwondo. I can do, just do a bunch of strikes. Or, you know, I might do more Lucha Libre heavily influenced matches. So I don't. I can do technical wrestling. I can do Ochili Break. I can do striking back and forth and stuff. I just don't want to be defined as one thing. Right. It's just about, it's so funny. It's just about being defined because you'll find that like, you know, and I think that you heard it when, when Allie was here, when Nick Cage was here, it's like, you know, really good at death matches, but yeah. I'm also able to do a lot more mm-hmm. and you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like right. I can do technical wrestling, but I'm not just, that person have you have you done any like hardcore stuff is that something that you would like to dabble in no <laughs> uh, i i remember is it like a year or two ago mm-hmm. i was wrestling shirley doe and we had kind of hardcore match so there was hardcore stuff but i was like i don't want to use weapon i don't want to use a chair and stuff like that the end of the match was me wrapping like a chain around his arm all had the like Yuji nagata arm bar on him and stuff like that mm-hmm. So I've used weapons. I prefer to not use them just because I like. I'm either going to be hesitant and it's not going to look very good because I'm worried about hitting somebody with Aww. a weapon, <laughs> or I'm going to hit them, and I might hurt them. I don't know. That's... I don't know. But I'm very like, I like watching deathmatch wrestling in person. Yes, you like deathmatch yeah. wrestling. It's just. You're too nice to be hardcore. And it's cool, but it, I don't think it's for me, especially, like, um, it's just, I don't feel that connection, and I think sometimes people jump on Deathmatch Wrestling. Not a lot, but there's a few in there that will jump on it because of the hype that comes with doing a Deathmatch mm. and stuff like that, the buzz. I respect Deathmatch Wrestling, and 
I don't feel like my heart's in it, so I don't want to do it. Yeah. If my heart's not in it, I'm not going to do it. I get that. Although now, like, I want to see the story get told where somebody's got to, like, beat the niceness out of you and beat the humility <laughs> out of you. And, like, oh, they're dread. This is not what he wanted to do, but he's dragged this side of Lee out of him. That's what the the story with Shirley Doe was. Like, yeah. It was a rivalry, and it was drawn out to, like, make me use a weapon to hit them. That set up that match. Yeah. So, like, there's storytelling and stuff. Like, I think an interesting match would be me and Nick Gage. Because I'm going to do everything I can and make sure he does not touch a single door or anything like that. Obviously, Nick Gage can wrestle, but I think he's become notorious with that stuff. Yeah. So I think that's the interesting story is, like, him wrestling someone like me. And I think he's wrestled Gresham maybe, but, like, that's always, like, an interesting contrast. And that styles make matches. Yeah. I think that that would be great. And I think even the storytelling in it where, like, he could try to go for a door and you could stop him yeah. and like not, you know, almost not allow it right. to, to happen. I think it could be really, really cool. Um, you went to school for graphic design, which I think uh, has got to be so helpful. You know, I mean, yeah. I feel like people who know graphic design now, I mean, it's, it's literally everything in any kind of performance, content creation, anything. Graphic mm -hmm. design is just such a valuable skill to have. Um, did you go thinking okay i want to get into wrestling and this will help or was it oh i don't know if i'll ever be a wrestler but i could be a graphic designer um it was more like i kind of had to i was still living with my family so you know you have to go to school because they weren't into the idea of me being a professional wrestler because they grew up watching wrestling and seeing like a lot of wrestlers pass away from the drugs and things like that different generation yeah, yeah no, so they were very much like no nah, you gotta go to school or something first if you're gonna live here so I had to go to school. I had to go and I picked graphic design because I was an artist. A lot of the stuff I've learned wasn't in college. I was self-taught. Like I went on YouTube and learned it or I used to draw when I was a kid. So I knew how to do that. I bought my own tablet and learned how to draw on computers. Mm -hmm. College was kind of more like the formal way of doing stuff or building portfolio. Mm -hmm. So I learned that just as a way to um, stay in my house. And then, <laughs> yeah, I get it. and also I, I was in a program called Job Corps and they pay for your schooling, but also I was a kid that was like, I, what is it? I think it's financial aid or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that money I actually used to pay for wrestling school later on. <laughs> so I would get that financial aid because they were already paying for school. So. Which, which is great because you're also kind of learning how to be a carny yeah. in the wrestling <laughs> business. And that's yeah. it. Like I used some of it because there's some stuff that you, like drop core went pay for, but I did have enough left over that it helped pay later on for wrestling school Yeah, or a car or whatever. So, but I did to get that. to wrestling matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think actually, like, I listened to the Young Bucks audio book, and they did something similar. So it's cool, like, people do that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just a way for me to, you know, do what I had to do until it was like okay for me to like pursue what I wanted to pursue. Right. Yeah, and it's it's problem solving, right? It's like I want to do this, mm. but I got to have a house mm. to live in the house. I got to do that. How yeah. does that lead into this? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, I think people who really want it, like it gets there and, and it gets there in a way that, oh, actually this was all productive. Yeah. Like every, every, every step of the way was productive. So what have your parents then thought of, uh, the rat now that, that you, you have gotten into wrestling? Now they're cool with it. Yeah. Now they, un like they see how committed I am to it. They came to my first wrestling match and stuff like that. And even, I think one thing that makes more comfortable with me being a wrestler than I'm straight edge mm -hmm. so they know that I'm not interested in that stuff and that lifestyle I'm a very big fan and it's a Myron Reed quote of wrestling and take my ass home like I just I don't get caught up in the stuff but um like and 
younger, I was like upset about it. I was like, they don't want me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's like in hindsight, I understand why they wanted me to do it. So it's like if you're a younger kid, just listen to your parents. <laughs> for the most part, they're probably right about stuff. And it's cool. Even Alex Shelley, he was telling me how he stopped wrestling for a while to get his to be able to do what he does now, like his therapist and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that inspired me. So I might in the fall go back to get the last credit I need to actually get my certificate because at the time I couldn't get that credit. CCAC in Pittsburgh is like four or five different campuses. And if you don't have a car, you can't get to all of them. So I couldn't get my last course because I didn't have a car at the time. So I'll go back soon enough to get it. Yeah. But, and the thing about art is a lot of art is just your portfolio. You can create the stuff and build a portfolio and people will hire you. Right. So it's like one of those things, like it's cool that I have that certificate, Mm -hmm. but it was at the time I was just a young kid that just wanted to wrestle. So I was upset that my parents wouldn't let me do that. But now as I'm older, I understand why they did what they did. Yeah. Yeah. No. uh, Yeah. I think, uh, I, I get it. I had the same type of parents. I was, I was, I tried to drop out of school and my dad was like, yeah, you can drop out of school, but like the rent to stay in this house is like crazy. And I'm like, huh, what? And he's like, no, it's not, I don't think you can afford it. You don't have any jobs lined up. And I'm like, well, I was going to, I was going to pursue my dream though. And he's like, yeah, yeah, pursue it. It's just going to be super expensive. (laughs) All right. I'll go back to school. All right. You got me. (laughs) <laughs> was it worth it going back to school yeah i mean ultimately i did a bunch of radio in school so yeah. it was like yeah yeah oh, okay. i don't i don't regret that at all and everything like that's the other thing like i got a studio yeah. now everything worked out right yeah. so clearly if i had missed it if i had changed any of the steps yeah i would have ended up differently and it, why would i want anything to end up differently right? right i feel like you're probably in a in a similar boat right now have you been straight edge from the jump or is that a decision that you made uh later on yeah, I was pretty much never interested in the stuff. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood I grew in wasn't the best, so you'd smell alcohol and stuff all the time. My bus stop was across the street from a bar. I was never interested in that smell or doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't discover straight edge stuff until I was like 12 or whatever because of CM Punk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been straight edge since. I just don't, it's nothing against drinking or whatever. I just don't have the desire to do it. And again, Bruce Lee quote. <laughs> remove the non-essentials of your life yeah so like so yeah it's like it's not essential for me so i don't need to do it right you put all your focus on your things that yeah that that you love um and so and so that's what you like to do then you like to show and go you like yeah. to yeah. wrestle and then and then go home yeah i've been to like after party maybe twice or whatever but that's just in your whole in the yeah, whole career like much, two yeah, after yeah, parties I really go out, but i'll be like like the one i went to was uh aiw the Jaylet tournament, so I was there for two days. So I went to one, and like some fans bought me food. I was like, "All right, it's cool." Like I nothing against it, but the way my stuff is, I'm always working. So I and it's cool to enjoy stuff, but I was like, I'd rather just go home and like sleep for a few hours. Yeah, and I would imagine too, there's probably somebody that wants to like buy you a drink, and you have to be like, "No, I don't really drink." Yeah. <laughs> or like, I mean, I guess you could get me a club soda. Oh no, why aren't you drinking? Well, I'm done. Oh really? What made you that? And you're like, I didn't think we were gonna have to have the whole conversation here. I, luckily, I'm gonna go home. <laughs> luckily, I haven't had it. Like a lot of places, they have bars and stuff. I haven't had to deal with that. Fans are pretty accepting. Like they understand. Like I don't do that stuff. They're cool with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I also feel like you know, if you're like a good dude, mm. people will be like, oh, I don't think that he's got nefarious. <laughs> motives here it's just not his thing right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just chill <laughs> yeah yeah well man uh this has been great um uh i'm i'm really excited for you and you. everything that's coming um do you feel like in that in that year plus of the pandemic that 
I'm sure in the beginning you were worried about losing your momentum, but now that we're kind of out of it, mm. are you kind of amazed that you not only did you not lose your momentum, but I would argue that you're you've got more a lot more momentum now than you did even back then. Yeah, it's kind of like you said, like those steps you took to get to where you are now. Mm -hmm. And someone else was asking me about that, like, do I feel like the pandemic slowed me down or like slowed my momentum down or changed it? Like, who's to know if I would have these same opportunities if there wasn't a pandemic? When half the world was shut down, like my first match back was with GCW mm -hmm. and there was no other shows running. So like so many more eyes were on that show, especially mm. as GCW is a big platform or, you know, I had these opportunities. When wrestling was cut off, I learned a lot about myself too. So I worked on my design stuff. I learned video editing, practiced it on my own and stuff like that. So obviously I don't want a pandemic to happen, but I don't look at it as like it messed stuff up or it changed the course of my career in a negative way. I'm happy where I am and I'm excited to where things are going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited too. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie? I didn't see it yet, but I heard about it because of the Bruce Lee stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, I was going to ask you if you're pissed about the Bruce Lee stuff. <laughs> uh, I, that's kind of why I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're a Bruce Lee fan, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I, I would just, I yeah. mean, movie's great, but also, you know. Aesthetically, it looks cool, so I kind of want to watch it. But then I heard about that, and I was like, uh -huh. yeah, there's some scenes that you'll be, I mean, luckily, like, you don't have to go to a theater. You can watch it on, like, uh -huh. Blu-ray or whatever, you could skip through. <laughs> skip through a couple scenes. I feel like this watch. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate the time, and uh, good luck with everything. Is there anything that, uh, where, where can people check out your stuff? Actually, mm -hmm. is there a match or anything like that that people who might not know you that now are like, oh, this guy's pretty cool, that you'd yeah. want to send people in the direction of to kind of, Get more familiar with what you do in the ring? I would say the Alex Shelley match with AIW at Built to Last. It's on IWTV. You can watch that, the submission match. You can watch the trilogy and kind of understand the story of how I got to where I am now. There's also a uh, spring break match with GCW at Wrestle Jonathan Gresham. If you like that kind of like wrestling wrestling, those are big matches. And anything I've done with Daniel Garcia, Wheeler Yuta, Trey Lamar, Calvin Tegman, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun working with people like my generation and like building these rivalries with people because it makes me competitive in a good way and it inspires me. Do you do you trip out? Because I've seen like matches that you've had. Like, I guess independent wrestling is so different now because everything's on the Internet. So like the audience in the room doesn't like if you're in front of 15 people, you're not actually in front of 15 people because yeah. this goes on YouTube. And if you have a great match, you're it's hundreds of people. Hmm. But uh I mean, you've you've done you've had matches in front of very few people live. Yeah, uh, you've done matches in front of tons of people live. Mm. Is it does that trip you out at all, or or are you kind of cool with whatever the turnout is? Those people are going to get a great match. I'm pretty cool with it. Yeah, I, there was always that quote. I think it was Brian Danielson. A lot of wrestlers don't have time. Like they're going to wrestle and give 100%, whether there's 10 people or 10,000. Mm -hmm. I've always had that mindset. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. My style is going to not change. Audiences like different stuff, so that plays a factor, but the amount of people is not going to change how much work I put in or the fact that there's no fans or whatever. It's different feeding off of the energy. Sure. But, like, I don't know. I feel like mentally I transform to the point once I put that mask on and those headphones on, mm -hmm. it's different. And I'm just going through that curtain and I'm ready to work. And even when, like my first match, the way the ring was lighted, 
you couldn't see anybody in the crowd. So it was like you can hear stuff, but you can't see anything. So I don't know. I've just always been comfortable, whether it's nobody or everybody. Yeah. Have you had to explain the mask to anybody? Like, I feel like that's one of those things that you do because you like it. Yeah. You know? Have you have people been like, hey, man, what's the deal with the mask? Yeah, it's one of those things you don't understand from the jump. But if you get to know who I am, you'll yeah. understand. One, it's uh, I wanted to be a mask wrestler, but my trainers wouldn't let me. My first, my favorite wrestler is Tiger Mask, so that's why it's Tiger style and the mm-hmm. Tank Land. So that's where that came from, and it's a cool aesthetic. And also, I'm a very like introvert person, mm. so I feel like the ma- it's weird to explain, but like I put the mask on and I put the headphones on, and it helps me come out of my shell. And then when I take them off and I'm inside the ring, it's different. Like I feel like I'm set and I'm ready to go. It helps me like transform from the shy introverted calm quietly to the one that's like yelling yeah in the ring and <laughs> kicking people in the head and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah which is important yeah. uh where can people follow you on like social and keep up with all your dates and merch and all that stuff uh on instagram twitter it's the lee moriarty and uh, i have a youtube channel that i'm gonna start posting stuff with especially now i'm gonna be documenting stuff for the summer of tiger style which is like what i'm trying to present right now because my summer is crazy i love it so i'll be all over the place and there's probably a good chance that you might be able to see me live in some capacity awesome awesome well uh follow along and uh yeah man i appreciate you hanging out of course it was fun i like it this is a nice place <laughs> thanks man Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been...